Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. By the way, yes, uh, I think I think it was seven to four votes of yes, you being little cheesecakes. No, 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 no. It was seven to seven tie. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. <clears throat> go ahead. Read it to me, Art. So uh, I'm not prepared. Now, this is just a horrible misfire on my end. Welcome in, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show, the show that has the balls to steal home plate. I'm your presence on the mound, who relies on ground balls, your host, David Mendelson. here with my two middle infield guys, who are hopefully going to take some double play magic behind me. Eric, what's up, E? Uh, not much. I was actually looking at some nice middle infield plays recently. Uh, I'll be Brandon Phillips with the behind-the-back toss. Well, I love it. And then we got to have the second half of that double play magic. Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Lil Cheesecake, VLC. How are we doing, Art? I'm good. If I'm going to be a shortstop, I want to be Sean Dunstan, where I line up and throw a 95-mile-per-hour fastball over to the first baseman. Uh, that's an old uh, Cubs reference for you youngins. Uh, Sean Dunstan's a man. I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I knew we had to get a Cub reference in there, but I wasn't sure it was going to be this quick into the show. I got plenty. I got plenty more. I got a lot of mo, <laughs> like Mr. T said. I got a lot of mo. Well, we got a full episode for you guys today. After my doctor intro, I'm a little bit uh, riding high, but on deck we have in-season strategies in which we are going to talk about with our guest, Batflip Crazy, Mr. Toby. We're going to talk about in-season strategies that we all use to help win our leagues, and hopefully we can help give the advice to win your leagues. So that was a great time with Toby. He was also with us for our bullpen question of the week, which is, who is the most badass player name of all time? And then our mystery game coming in to shut the door, uh, which we will reveal at the end of the show, so don't get too crazy yet. But first up to bat is going to be our news and notes. News and notes. According to a report in El Nuevo Diario, lawyer Odalis Ramos has accused Miguel Sano and three of his friends of kidnapping, beating, and threatening to hang his client, Rodi Omar Sanchez de la Cruz, last month in Sano's hometown of San Pedro de Macruz. Sano denied all the allegations in the newspaper and has said that Sanchez de la Cruz was involved in a sexual assault incident that someone related to Sano was involved with so far. No, cha- no charges have been filed, but the local prosecutor's office has a hearing scheduled for June 25th, according to the newspaper. Art, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of this news? 
Uh, well, first of all, I got I got to quote uh, Justin Mason and say, uh, is this the time to sell uh, Miguel Sano from your from your roster? And what could you get pennies on the dollar for him? Or uh, perhaps it's the time to buy. I'm not sure. Maybe you can get him for pennies on the dollar. I can't make heads or tails of this. This story is just blowing my mind. Kidnapping, threats, threats. I, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, honestly, um, I'm waiting to see wh- what more comes out because it just seems like it's from like a bad, a bad, bad movie. It really does. I, I, I know maybe some everybody doesn't remember this, but the whole incident with his girlfriend a few years ago and the domestic violence thing that came out, but that ended up not affecting his playing time. I'm wondering if I'm not sure. I mean, this seems a lot more like something at least is going to happen, it's, even if it's a small penalty, you know. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts? Yeah, kind of like you said, I, I don't know really what to think. There's so many angles from this story, but, you know, doesn't matter because we're not going to have baseball anyway. No negative Nancy's allowed on this podcast. Just staying mm-hmm. true to my prediction. Well, speaking of no baseball season, according to sources, the Major League ba- Major League Baseball Players Association has delivered a counterproposal to MLB's original 60-game proposal that includes a 70-game season and expanded playoffs in 2020 and 2021. In a statement announcing the proposal, MLBPA Executive Director Tony Clark said, we believe this offer represents the basis for an agreement on a resumption of play. This has also occurred following a four-hour negotiation in Phoenix between Clark and Manfred on Tuesday. MLB emerged believing that the framework of a deal had been agreed upon, sources told ESPN, and many of us, I think, were getting a little too excited. The union disagreed with that accounting, and players Wednesday said they viewed the MLB's proposed 60-game schedule as too short. Absent a deal, the league has the ability to implement a season of its desired length, likely around 50 games, per a March 26 agreement between the sides, a move that probably would lead to a grievance from the players. The union surveyed player leadership about the proper path going forward, cognizant that its decision could sour owners and prompt the league to implement a season instead of coming to a negotiated agreement. So I posted this on my Twitter, at dmendio 2 that this honestly feels like a roller coaster, and I feel like I'm on just this giant roller coaster ride because my emotions are super high and then super low, and I don't like baseball playing with my emotions. Um, I do think there's going to be baseball, but I don't want the carpet to be pulled out from under me. So, Eric, I'm going to start with you, Mr. Negative Nancy. Does this change your opinion at all that you think that there will be baseball, whether it's 50 games, 60 or 70 games? No, because the money is the first part. Let's say they agree on money and schedule. Then what happens if somebody gets coronavirus? I feel like there's been so much talk about the money behind it. We have we forgot that there's a pandemic. And I think it there's just... Every day that goes on, I think there's a least there's a less likely chance. And I think it does it just doesn't stem from the money of this. I think there's a lot of unresolved issues on the players end. Um, what I'm gonna do instead of weekly shout outs to Jeff McNeil as of June 18th, 2020, I'm retiring that and I'm gonna have a new thing each week of why Rob Manfred should be fired. He said that he would 100% guarantee a season and then five days walk back on that. His credibility is gone. You can't do that at any other job. Hashtag fire Manfred. Art? Well, I'm, I'm 
on the roller coaster with you, David. I, I, I think also, Eric, you're moving the goalposts here. <laughs> you're moving the goalposts. We, we, you were saying the agreement is not going to happen. Now you're saying, oh, no, coronavirus is going to shut it down. Stop moving the goalposts. We're going to have baseball. No negative Nancy's. Yes. Go to, our Mar- go to our March 22nd pod, and I'll have said I don't think that there will be baseball. Yeah, that's gonna, right. That's oh, right. we're going to totally tag you when it comes back and be like, where you at now, dog? Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? <laughs> oh, and I'll be I, too busy being drunk because I'm so happy. The the um the problem, I, I don't know if it's a problem. The roller coaster ride that I'm on just it's not even like day to day. It's minute to minute or hour to hour with the reports of, you know, two two days ago, was it eight owners didn't even want the season to happen? Uh uh three days ago, uh like last week there was a forty-eight game versus hundred and fourteen games, and it looked like, you know, I wasn't sure if I was more angry which side I was more angry at. It seems like and and it seems like the owners have caved, which, you know what? Awesome. I don't care who caves. I, I honestly, I, I have no, I have no dog in the fight. Um, as long as the baseball season comes back, I'm happy. But like the, the roller coaster ride, my nerves are already frayed. There's a pandemic going on. Baseball players, don't you realize you can make my life better by just getting out on that field? That's all I'm saying. Take your money and get out on the field. So I'm just going to wrap this up with one thing, and I want everybody to come in close. Like, come, come come, close. Come come here. Tony Clark, Rob Manfred, lock yourself in a room, give someone else the key, <laughs> do not leave that room until there's baseball. Then we'll have a season. You are not allowed to leave that room. I don't care if you starve. I don't care if you miss your kids. I don't care if you're claustrophobic. Give us baseball. God darn it. Give us baseball. Mic drop. Anyway, happier subject. We had Batflip Crazy, Mr. Tony G. We had a great time recording with him. He's with us for the rest of the show. So we, for the ones that came for Mr. Batflip, we want to make sure you get to hear Mr. Batflip. So enjoy our talk with Mr. Batflip, Tony G. About Toby. In- huh? Toby. I said Toby. <laughs> I thought you said Tony. Maybe it's I my s- headphones. Oh, my God. You're discrediting <laughs> me. Enjoy <laughs> our talk. <laughs> enjoy our time with Mr. Batflip talking in-season strategies. Enjoy. We'll catch you next week. Play on, players. We welcome in our guest for this week. You may call him a little crazy. You know him from BatFlipCrazy.com, the BatFlip Crazy podcast, Bubba and the BatFlip. He's at BatFlipCrazy on Twitter and the IG. Can you guess who our guest is? It's Toby G, a.k.a. BatFlipCrazy. How's it going, man? Uh, It is going great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate the invite, and uh, I feel like... We're in this unique time in baseball where we really want to talk about baseball and we don't really want to take a talk about baseball sometimes. So, but there's no, there's no wrong time to talk about fantasy baseball. 
You got that right. And because real baseball has just been a giant roller coaster of emotions. So I feel like this is our safe place. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I feel special that you've allowed me into your safe space, guys. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So before we dive into things, I saw, I kind of read your, a little about me and you said that you kind of started this because it was your wife's suggestion to embrace your passion for fancy baseball and all the hours you were putting in basically to put it to good use. I know Art's married, uh, he's, and I'm in a long-term relationship and I think it's like one of those things, if your significant other gives you that extra motivation, you're like, why am I not doing it? Was that kind of the case for you? Yeah. You know, I, I think like a lot of people probably, you know, when before I started writing, before I started doing the analysis publicly, like I did the analysis, but you know maybe weren't super comfortable like putting myself out there or putting the analysis out there, and uh, you know, and so I was doing pretty well. I had like maybe one home league, maybe one other league. I always loved fantasy baseball, but and I spent a lot of time on it, but I just really hadn't, you know, thought about doing it in that fashion and so yeah it really was her push that got me kind of over the hump and once I started putting things out there you guys you know um may know how it is like when you when you get started like you're putting it out there for like your 10 10 to 50 followers right yeah you're just putting it out there and you're like "Uh, is anybody reading this is anything happening (laughs) but you just keep on putting out there you you put it out there and and you're following the following starts to grow and once people started reading and having positive feedback, I mean, that means so much uh, to me whenever people have positive things to say. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely my wife's doing. I don't know if I'd be on this podcast if it weren't for her. I certainly uh, really appreciate having that support. It's always nice to have people in your life who are who are uh, supportive of your passions and, and, and kind of help you get yourself out there when maybe you don't think that you should be. If that makes sense. Yeah. And speaking of your life, you actually put up something that uh, on Twitter the other day that was a really entertaining read about Sammy Sosa. And for those that did not get a chance to see this thread, can you just talk a little bit about that? Oh, man, for sure. So I was watching um, uh, Long Gone, Long Gone Summer, I think is what Mm -hmm. it's called. It's the new uh, uh, ESPN 30 for 30 on Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. And the summer of 98, when they just had that insane home run back and forth. I mean, it was nuts to watch it and just remember what that was like. I mean, I remember when Sosa caught McGuire, like McGuire hit number 62 and everybody was like, McGuire, McGuire, McGuire. And then all of a sudden we're like close to the end of the season and they're tied, you know, and like it was just amazing to kind of remember that. And I've always been a big Sosa fan just because like, energy i love the kiss the double tap you know like that's that's something that i used to do to people um you know after after sammy so anyways as you can tell i'm good at making short stories long (laughs) uh if you didn't know already by my 15 15 tweet thread on it but oh man it was it was great so essentially like i grew up in northern california and i for some reason really wanted to go to northwestern university so family friend who was a pilot got me free airfare um, flying standby, uh, had some friend in business in Chicago. So we went there. Um, I checked out Northwestern. I put in the story, I got rejected early decision, but it worked <laughs> out great for me guys. So if you get rejected, just keep on going. Um, so we went to a game at Wrigley, which I didn't expect. So we go to this game at Wrigley, which was nuts. Cause you know, Wrigley's old and you go there and literally the bleachers, I don't know if it's still like this, 
but the bleachers are literally like the bleachers in your high school stadium like that they, like they are still like that because i they went are still summer. like that yeah oh so it's just like and so you're like sitting there going, i had no idea you could like see a game like this but it was awesome it was 99 and sosa was actually ahead of the pace that he had set in 98 he had it he and then in that game they lost to the rockies but he just he crushed a home run, uh, I think, in his first at-bat, and in his second bat-bat, he hit the farthest home run that I think I've ever seen, except for maybe a Justin Upton shot, like, live, but just, like, left-center, absolute bomb. So it was amazing experience. And then in, like, later innings, he actually moved to center field. There was, like, a defensive substitution. He moves to center, and he's playing catch with a guy, and then it's time for the inning to start, and he turns around and he tosses the ball up into the stands and it's going right for me. Right. Like literally like, like the arc of the ball, you see it and you're like, Oh, that's coming <laughs> for me. So you guys can't see this cause it's a pod, but I'm like, I'm reaching out, you know, and then a guy who's to the left of me, like a bigger guy, I was like 17, I think when this happened and I'm not a big guy to begin with, but kind of just like is leaning over and trying to get the ball too. There was nothing wrong with what he was doing, but kind of loses his balance a little bit. And so as the ball's coming in, he hits my left arm and it, move, it moves my hand, my left hand over, and it kind of hits like a little bit of the backside of my, my hand, falls in front, and I lose the ball. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, Sammy Sosa. I, I go to a random game in, in Wrigley. Sosa hits two jacks. I'm super excited about it. And then of all the things, like he shouldn't, shouldn't even be in center field to throw me the ball. He throws the ball into the stands. It's coming right for me, and I drop it. <laughs> and so I was, like, super bummed out about that, obviously excited to see the game. So fast forward eight years, and so Sammy Sosa is now on the Rangers. It's his last season. It's July 2007. I live in Boston now because I went to school at Boston University. And so and I've been to a ton of games. Uh, this is one of the years that the Red Sox were really good. It was hard to get tickets. They won the, their second World Series that year in 2007. And so I go to the game. My brother's in town. So we go to the game, and they're up, I think, 7-3, to three, something like that. And so it's, it's Boston, so things are cramped like in Fenway, and then everybody needs to go to the T, which is the train there, uh, to get home. So everybody's leaving, especially the people who sit in the front row, you know, got the cushy seats. Um, and so they leave, and there's these, these just like this open front row right along the third base line. So me, my brother, all my friends, we go there. And we have a buddy, actually, have a buddy who does security over there. So he's cool with us being over there in the first place, right, seeing these new faces in the front row. So Sammy Sosa comes up to bat. You know, I'm not even thinking about anything right now. You know, first two pitches are balls. He chops the next one down the third base line, and it's coming right for me. So I'm leaning over, and it's really low in Fenway, like to the fields, like the, the walls along the side there. So I'm leaning over. I reach down, and I think the ball was kind of had a ton of spin on it. That's what I tell myself. But it has a bunch of spin. It kind of kicks off the wall a little awkwardly. I think hits the top of my hand and rolls away. And I'm just like, oh my God, I didn't blow it. And I'm like telling her about like, like eight years ago, Sammy Sosa does this thing. I can't believe I blew this. Next pitch, he hits it. It's a softer one this time. And it just kind of chops along and hits and just kind of rolls along the side. And I'm reaching down and I get the foul ball. The only foul ball I've ever gotten in my major league in all the times I've been to a major league park. And it's Sammy Sosa. And it was just insane. Like when you think about it, like eight years ago in the middle of like one of the biggest home run chases of, of all time, Sammy Sosa hits these two jacks, throws me a ball. I drop it. 
eight years later, he's last year of his career. I'm randomly get to move up in the seats. He hits these slow roller. I miss it. And then again, it was like, it was like I was destined to get a Sammy Sosa foul ball. And so I got it. And it was really nice because I was there with my brother. So like I posted this in the thread. Like I have pictures like I was calling people like, oh, did you see me on the TV getting that foul ball? Blah, 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 blah. And then I was with my my little brother who's also super into baseball. And uh, it was just a really nice moment and really great. And just one of those things that happens in your life where you're like, how on earth did all these things come together and and and, and happen? So it was awesome. And Thank you for giving me the opportunity for over uh, the course of a half an hour to share that story on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Fun Third fact. time's the charm, right? Fun exactly. Fact, the guy who reached up and knocked the ball out of your hand, Steve Bartman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Steve Bartman. For sure. That Bartman guy, he is always in the way. He's like, always in the, the way. Hell, man? Was that, this, that was the same year, wasn't it? Or no, that was 98. That was 98 that, that Bartman oh, interfered. Oh, it was 03. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was oh, the moment before the bar. He, he was practicing on you. Exactly. Yeah. It was the minor <laughs> leagues. It was the minor leagues. That was like his. Yeah. That That's a state at that point. Like that many times they wanted to make sure you got that foul ball like that. I don't believe that's a coincidence. Like that's fate at that point. Yeah. It was great. I still have the, I still have the ball. Um, I still have, it was, it was a lot of fun because I moved like about a year and a half ago back to Northern California. And so I have like a, my treasure trove of all my Red Sox stuff. Like I was a massive Red Sox fan um, from like 2000, like for a while. I mean, I grew up Red Sox. My dad was from uh, West Springfield, Mass. Um, so I grew up liking them. I always had different teams that I liked the most. But when I moved to Boston, I was like all in. And uh, yeah, I just had a lot of memorabilia. I used to get a New Jersey shirt every single year for a different player you know, and so I was just rummaging through that stuff. I have my old hat that's just like unwearable. I wore it so much. I've got that uh, that baseball. So yeah, it was just a really nice little jaunt down memory lane, which I never would have thought of if I hadn't seen that 30 for 30, which is great. I highly recommend people uh, people check that out, especially right now. Things so down and so much of baseball, it seems like, and you know, you never know how much is narrative and how much is real, but there's so much connection with family and, you know, kind of passed on generation to generation, going to the ball game, you know, with mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, and just, um, you know, and so it's kind of nice to be reminded of what got us interested in the game to begin with and, and how you used to go to the game with that glove, just hoping that you got that one shot, you know, to get that mm -hmm. foul ball. Luckily I got three shots at it and, uh, I was, I was able to grab it. So it was, it was, it was pretty sweet. Is the baseball in the man cave is the question. <laughs> I do not have a man cave in my current oh. <laughs> place. I do not have a man cave, um, but it is in my garage. Uh, I have a, I have a garage. It's it's in there. You know, I got it. I've, I've been thinking like, especially because I want to do uh, I want to do YouTube, start doing YouTube stuff. Like when I do the podcast, streaming it to YouTube via like uh, StreamYard and stuff like that. So I'm going to do that. And I've got a few hats, like baseball hats, but I don't, and I have some memorabilia, but not a ton, but I really got to like set something up. Like maybe I'll have a, I'll have like a bookshelf or something like that. That's actually movable where I like glue everything on. And it's like, when it's time to do my podcast, I just like move it in the way. And then I'm like, Hey, I'm here in my man cave. You know, like I got this. <laughs> got to have know? the jerseys like in the yeah. background, like hung, hanging up so everybody can yeah, see them. Totally. And that's what somebody should create that a portable man cave, you know, we're like, 
whenever you're talking to your buddies, you just move the portable man cave behind you, and you're just like, what's up? Any sponsors I, I, out there, Triple Play Podcast will will sponsor. <laughs> we will promote your portable man cave. I think we just us. had a Shark Tank idea on our yeah. fantasy podcast. <laughs> hey, you want to know something? This fan, this podcast is already starting off to be absolutely incredible. I hope your listeners <laughs> appreciate what is happening so far. And I'm not just saying that because I'm mostly talking. I'm just saying this is, I'm enthusiastic. I'm excited. I'm um, this is fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I was gonna say we're you got we're talking about Sammy Sosa dingers, we're talking about foul ball, we're talking about worn hats. Like I, I got the baseball juices flowing. Like like let's do this thing. Like I'm fired up. All we need is the announcement to happen while this podcast is happening that we're gonna get baseball again, right? <laughs> oh my god, I wouldn't doubt it the way it's going. Yeah. <laughs> um but we're gonna get into the main content today, and our main content we're gonna talk about today is in season strategies. And don't downplay this because this is a big deal in fantasy baseball. And our experts here, they've researched, they've done valuable uh, information gathering on various in-season strategies they feel are relevant to address and how to win your leagues. So not only will each expert give you the strategy that they feel that they, they feel relevant and need to talk about, but they're also going to tell you how this can outbeat your opponent. There may be some you may have heard before, and you're welcome. And there may be some that you may have not heard before and again you're welcome so we're going to start with the first big one that i think everybody's familiar with and that's streaming and if you're a fantasy owner this basically means that you're targeting short-term rentals on the waiver wire which will provide you a boost in production for that given week and i don't think there's anything else that's going to make you tear your hair out more than a negative start from a streamer oh gosh so toby i'm going to start with you what are things you look for when you stream pitchers yeah, so um, it, it's a it's a great question. So one of the things that I'm always doing is I'm always I'm always paying attention to, you know, I think a lot of times we pay attention to leaderboards. I think number one is knowing like kind of uh, the tools and the resources that are out there, like Fangraphs and Baseball Savant, you know, that have like a lot of information that you can find useful. But what I actually use a lot is short-term leaderboards. So looking at like how a player has been doing recently. Obviously there's recency bias in that. And so what I'm actually looking at isn't like how many home runs they have or how many runs they have or how many RBIs or stolen bases they have. Like I look at that information, but I'm also looking for like concrete changes to how they're how they're hitting the ball or, or how they're playing. So whether that's hard hit rate on fan graphs or you know, barrel rate, short-term barrel rates or ex-woba on baseball savant, contact rate. So actually like skills, if they're if they're, have an increase in contact, but more so than anything, I think it's really a matter of taking a look at those like skill level things and then also matching that up with, um, uh, and, and I was, I was, I was thinking about like hitters in that particular instance, but, Mm -hmm. uh, cause I actually think streaming hitters is a super important part. Um, so my head was there, but like, I'd look at like came on walk weight rate, swinging strike rate, in zone contact rate, walk and strikeout rates independently, um, things of that nature. But then also schedule is so important, Um, you know, and so obviously with a pitcher, you want a weak matchup. So if you can get a guy who maybe has been demonstrating, you know, a change in skills recently that is positive, you know, maybe that's the result of a pitch mix change. Maybe that's a result of some increased velocity. You know, if you can find an actual reason for why that's happening and then align that with, you know, a, a, a positive week. Again, being being aware of what the settings of your league are. So if it's daily versus weekly, 
looking for those two starts, for instance, as well. But you got to be careful with those two starts. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't just want to get a guy because he has two starts, like especially with the ball that we have today and, and the offensive environment, those things can go really, really poorly. So that in some respects is like, unless I've got my ratios secured and, and I'm, you know, just need K's or I just need wins and I'm not really worried about ratios, I'd be really hesitant to do that. So really looking at that and looking at that schedule and looking if there's anything that they, where they line up really well, where it's like, Oh, there's a lefty that's coming in. And, you know, this, this, uh, lineup tends to be lefty heavy, you know, things of that nature. So that's kind of what I look at. I look at the skills, I look at the schedule, and then I try to kind of balance those and figuring out who makes sense to stream as a pitcher, at least. No, and I'm really glad you brought up the hitting aspect because that was very narrow sighted of me to not like when I was writing up, I was thinking like how stressful it is to stream pitchers and how much I just rip my hair out when they give me negative starts. And and you're right. Hitting is just as important in streaming because you could stream the guy the day they hit three home runs, you know, and that can that can give you 20 plus points in your uh, a single day. So I think that's very important. I'm glad that you did touch on that. So I, I want to go to you next, Art. What do you feel? Again, hit, you can include hitting as well. What do you feel is important when you're streaming a player? I, I think to, Toby did a great job explaining that. I, I want to talk one once is if you're doing a head-to-head league, one thing that I do often is I look at my opponent and I will pick up a person that I think they might be looking at picking up. I use it very strategically. Um, I, I'll look ahead in the week and I'll say, all right, my pitching is, is set. But I have a guy I can. I feel like I can drop. There's a good street start I can pick up, and I might not need it, but I might need it. But I think my opponent's definitely going to need it, so I'm going to pick up the best start that I think is there. So I look ahead and I try to make sure that I am playing strategically in a head-to-head league to make sure that they are that my opponent is has less resources. When I'm looking at hitting, one of the things that like position-wise. Catcher is a position that I think is really ripe for streaming in a one-catcher league. In two-catcher leagues, there's just not enough catchers available to stream catchers. But in a one-catcher league, it's best, it's good to have two catchers because catchers play four times a week, maybe five times a week at best. So if you're going to get six or seven days of catcher uh, contributions, you need two catchers. And you really, you really can do that by streaming for the most part, just by looking at matchups with pitchers, um, who's who's playing a hot hand with catcher, a guy that you're not going to want to put on your roster full time, but a guy who might have a good matchup for one day, you can just add him for one day in a daily moves league. I don't play in a lot of weekly moves leagues, so I don't have a ton of great advice for weekly moves streaming, other than um, I do like I, when I'm looking for the next week, I start to look two weeks in advance to try and see who I might want to pick up. Um, so that way, uh, if there's a Sunday that you're picking up for the next week, you might want to look the week before so that you're not as much competition to pick up the guy you might want for a week. You might, if you have, if you have the space on your roster to hold a guy, uh, you might be like, okay, I can pick up a guy for two weeks from now. Because next week I'm pretty set for pitching. So I can pick up a guy that I think in two weeks I might need because in two weeks I don't have my, my holdover starters. I don't have that many two-start weeks. I'm going to be needing to fill up starts. So I'll look ahead and I'll say, okay, in two weeks it looks like this person 
is going to get two starts and they look like good starts. So I'm going to pick them up now because in a week I'm going to be spending more of my fab to pick them up than if I pick them up this weekend. That's just one of the thoughts I have. So to basically put it in 10 words or less, keep away strategy for pitching, foresight strategy for hitting. Is that pretty accurate, kind of how you approach it? I, I think foresight for both, but definitely keep away for pitching because um, pitching is, is so valuable. Like, I, pitching is, is so hard to get uh, good production off the waiver wire uh, on demand. Um, so if you see someone that you think the other, your opponent might find useful, snab, snag them and keep them away from your opponent. Yeah, definitely. Is it not the best feeling when you pick up somebody and then someone in your league texts you and says, God dang it, why'd you, you be I was literally about to pick them up. I think that's one of the best feelings. It's the best. Um, Eric, anything you want to add to the streaming that wasn't touched upon? So our listeners can't see, but when Art was talking the blocking strategy, I was shaking my head yes, because sometimes the best offense is great defense. What I'll do is I'll look at how many starts my pitchers are projected to have. And in, in the league we play, and it's 10 starts max. And then I'll usually add or subtract a game or two because there could be postponements, delays. A pitcher could get scratched, a doubleheader. So figure out what's the maximum number of pitchers that you need to stream. Do you have you know, your, your dominant pitchers that you've taken early in the draft going early in the week to give you a heads up? Because you don't need to stream if you have a lead. So I think it's important to see the position that you're in versus your opponent. Do they have a lot of their pitchers going later in the week? Uh, I also look at their team, and like Art said, is there anybody that they're going to pick up? Um, because my my thing is if you can block them, you're now giving yourself a better chance to win. They might take someone that they're not confident in that could get them that negative outing, and then you have even more of a lead and you don't need to stream if I am picking someone and I'm in a league with Art and he's picked up that person and I text him, God dang it, Art, I wanted that person, I will usually look at their recent four to five games and I'll go for a pitcher that hasn't gotten rocked, that hasn't had a six or seven earned runs in two innings type of outing. You know, maybe someone that goes five innings, four earned, gets a no decision and might get you single digits or a little negative. But I'm avoiding that really low floor of the negatives. I also don't think that you can go playing a bad offense. Um, I'll usually look for anybody playing the Marlins. You know, if they have a good day, I rolled the dice. Um, and then I'll look at home road splits. And, and for example, Sonny Gray, when he played for the Yankees, he had like a six plus ERA at home, but under four ERA on the road. So I think in cases like that, it's very important to know because he could have a great matchup against the Orioles at home, but based on how he's done over the course of the season, you might want to avoid that matchup. I think there's some very good points you added there. I think you guys touched on a lot of uh, good stuff for that particular topic. Let's slide can, into. Can, the can I add one little thing on hit, on hitters? 100%. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say I think I agree with what everybody said, and it's awesome because I play roto like pretty much 100%. Roto, so mm. it's great for me to hear like these different head-to-head -head strategies and things like that. On hitters, I think that streaming hitters is like the most underutilized skill. Yes. I think that you can you can gain so much value because the difference between once you get to a certain point, the difference between like you know, let's say you know, if you have like uh, you know, you have 14 hitters. 
The difference between your 10 through 14 hitters who have a tough matchup versus the guys who are on the waiver wire, depending on how, how you know deep your league is, who are going up against the Orioles is I'd much rather have those guys on the waiver wire who are going up against the Orioles. And especially this season with the way that, that we're likely to see divisions where, you know, the AL East is only playing the AL East or the AL Central is only playing the AL Central or maybe the NL Central, but like where you're going to have guys where they play like the Tigers and the Royals in back-to-back series all the time, you know, the Red Sox and the Orioles, the Red Sox are going to have a terrible pitching staff. So being able to look that have that foresight to look not just like if you're in a daily league tomorrow, but next week, I think art, it was you who said like looking at that next week and like really thinking like, Oh man, if I can get this guy for, and he's got the Orioles in two of the next three series that he's got, I'm going to be able to squeeze out so much more value than that guy. I'm kind of like, I like him, but he's not really like a sure thing. So turn that roster, get those extra games in because the difference between them is not even the difference between four games and three games, right? They're not 33% better than that other guy. And really churning that roster in terms of hitting, I think can be incredibly valuable um, and and really get you those extra runs and RBI and home runs, stolen bases that you need um, in those hitting categories. So then, Toby, my follow-up question, and then we'll go to the next one, is when you then when you go into a draft, are you looking, since you're talking about kind of the churning of your roster, who do you target early in your roto drafts? Are you looking for pitchers that you just are going to have as staples and then hitting your kind of like, I'm going to rotate it in regardless? Or are you trying to get the, the really good hitters early on? Like, how do you approach your drafts? Yeah, that's a great question. So I generally play 15-team leagues and NFBC format. So two catcher leagues, pretty deep. And I normally start off, at the two of my first three picks are normally going to be starting pitchers. It's also because I play in overall competitions where and where pitching is also moves up a little bit in drafts and you need to be solid across the board. But generally, like, I think it's a great question because that is a little bit of what I'm planning to do when I do that. And then I'll go with like eight straight hitters or something like that, because I really think the depth and the balance in hitting and the the ability to churn that I'd much rather stream hitters than stream pitchers in today's environment, especially in like 15 team leagues when you you're really you're really putting like the dregs out there, right? Like because most of the halfway decent starters are already rostered and are held on to pretty closely because people want them. So I generally start off heavy in pitching and then go with depth in in. Or, uh, get those top end starters. There's a lot of reasons that I won't get into about why I do that, but then attacking with depth in, in, in hitting. But I'll also draft where like in some of my drafts I drafted before Alex Wood like had the great spring training. I drafted him in some drafts because I knew that his first start was going to be against the giants. I think his mm-hmm. first two starts were going to be against the giants. So even if he wasn't that good against the giants, like, you know, on the Dodgers, I'm going to take that. So I'll actually draft guys with their initial schedules in mind for who I th- think might be successful. And that's also nice because once the season starts, you don't feel so bad if they're not good or if they have a couple good games, you're not, you're okay moving on and churning those that continuing to churn those spots in, in, on your team. And Toby, I think you're touching on it really well. What separates baseball from a lot of other fantasy sports and, you know, football, it, it's once a week and it's a lot less thinking involved. It's still a lot of strategy, but with baseball, especially we're talking about like streaming and 
this is it's so important that you are on top of your roster. You're looking at these matchups, you know, like you said, you were already you knew he played the Giants and that's why you were targeting him draft. There's so much preparation and, and so much strategy involved in streaming. And I think you're you're really highlighting what makes fantasy baseball so different from all the other fantasy sports out there. Toby, my question is, do you lead your league in transactions? <laughs> um, that is a really good question. Most of my leagues, pretty much all my leagues are weekly. Um, I do have one daily. It's like a daily fab league. And I generally do lead the league <laughs> in transactions. But I think that's like, you know, and that that is a great point. Like in fantasy football, it's so easy. You work your waiver wire once. You pretty much know who's going to be in your lineup. Maybe you have one or two question marks about who you're going to start who. Again, it depends on how deep it is. But fantasy baseball, you really have to earn it. You need to be mm-hmm. able to be willing to outwork your opponents and get that that leg up. And I think the, the most fun leagues is when everybody has that mentality. You oh, know? Yeah. And so it's just so competitive because there's so much competition over every guy every day or every week. And I think that's what you see. Yeah, like, like in, in NFBAC, it's a little different because pretty much – at least at the beginning of the season, everybody's kind of all in and trying to work that wire pretty heavily. Guys kind of fade as their teams maybe fade and football starts up a little bit. But you also have to factor things like that into your decision making, like how many guys in down the stretch are really going to be pushing it? And does that give me an opportunity to catch up in in counting categories where ratios are a lot harder to catch up in later on in a season. So I'll actually factor things like that in where I'm like, you want to know something? I'm going to start off early with pitching and go heavy with pitching because I got two ratios out of my five categories there where I just have batting average and hitting. And I feel much more confident down the stretch and through my ability to work the wire and identify talent that I'll be able to grind out some of that difference in hitting between you know the guys who went hitter-hitter to begin with you know, and then maybe grab their pitchers after that compared to the guys, you know, with going with a little bit of depth. Right. No, I, again, Toby, that I was, I think I couldn't have said it any better. Art, Eric, you guys also did such a great job touching on streaming. I do want to get to the next uh, subject here for this category, and that's player acquisition. And I'm not going to get into the deep dive of the different ways the waivers can work. I know there's a million different out there, and we could touch on that in future episodes. But the one thing I'm looking at is when you see someone on the waiver wire, and it's like when you take that pie out of the oven, it's like, it's that type of player that you're like, oh man, like home runs in three straight games. Is it the time to pick him up now? Or is this, is it just, I'm going to let him sit. He's cooling off. But and, and the first player that comes to my mind is, is Aristides Aquino last year. When, when is the type, when is the time to pick up somebody that you're like, okay, this is legit. This isn't just a one or two game stretch where they're just absolutely killing it. So Art, I'll start with you for this question. Uh, I think that's a really hard question to answer. I think the one thing you have to remember is that resilience really pays off. You're going to make a lot of bad calls over the course of a season. I think if you make three out of five good calls, you're doing pretty well, and you have to be willing to take a chance. You're going to you're gonna drop a guy that you wish you hadn't dropped, and you're going to miss picking up a guy that you looked at and thought, I'm going to let him cool a little bit. What you have to be able to do is come back the next day and put in the same amount of analysis, put in the same amount of work to try and figure out the next guy you want to pick up because you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and you're going to make them all the time. So that's one thing. Like, like we talked about different sports. 
fantasy baseball tests your resilience. It tests your metal, really, because you're you're like you got you got about five seconds where you can text your friends and say, I can't believe I dropped Liam Hendricks and I really needed a closer. You know, that, that's from and personal experience. Art. That's from personal <laughs> experience, you know, and and uh, and uh, then you got to move on and say, OK, all right. Well, I, I guess I, I, I have to try and find the next closer that I might be able to get. Um, so. Really, the question is so hard. Uh, you know, I look at the pedigree of the player. If it's a young player, I, I think you can rely on pedigree. Um, and uh, otherwise, I p- I'll pick up a guy who's hot just and like give him a few days on my roster, a few, maybe a week on my roster, and drop him just the same because, you know, you're just, you got to churn it. You, you're, you can't be afraid to make a bad pickup, you can't be afraid to make a bad drop. And Eric, I'm going to go to you next. But before I do that, I think one of the also players that came to my mind that's very relevant for this question is Lucas Giolito, especially coming off of he was arguably the worst starting pitcher in baseball the year before. And it's not like he started out the year incredible. It was like all of a sudden things clicked a little bit into the season. And you're like, okay, he had one good start against a mediocre team. Uh, am, Am I willing to roll the dice on his next start that he could probably give up seven earned runs like last year? And so I think on the pitching side, that's also where it comes into play is, Hey, is this guy figuring something out? Like, is this a, a sign of things to come? So Eric, what are your thoughts on player acquisition? So very good points that Art made. And I would just like to point out that he dropped Hendricks and I picked him up <laughs> <laughs> and, and coming from somebody that did pick up a Kino last year, my first thing I do is I try to stock up on position flexible players during the draft. Someone like a Jeff McNeil, Alex Bregman used to be shortstop and third base eligible, a Marwin Gonzalez. So that way you can move them around your lineup. Somebody that you know is going to be rosterable. And what I'll do is I'll play around with my lineup to see, okay, I can add an outfielder. I can add a middle infielder. Ultimately, my goal is to have an open utility spot so that I can add any hitter I'd like. Um, But if I need to, my first cut, I'm going to do any platoon players like a Daniel Vogelbach or a Jay Bruce, somebody that's not guaranteed to play any every day, but that could have good production. Um, it's a tough thing to do. Like Art said, you might you might bang your head and say, why did I do that? But obviously you're making that decision at the time because of your analysis. Usually my general rule of thumb is if they have two games in a row or very close together, because in my mind, the team is going to give them an opportunity. Maybe they're, you know, they went two for three with two homers, you know, had an 0 for 3 day and then 3 for 4, you know, with a homer and four RBIs, the team is probably going to give them a decent amount of playing time because they know that upside. So I'll usually see it if they have two good games close to each other. And I think, you know, we talk about the different formats, but fantasy is a weekly game and you have to take advantage of the streaks. If you can get somebody like Aquino that has six home runs in a week and could be the reason why you win, and then, you know, you, you make it in the playoffs because you have one more win than, than the next guy. You know, fantasy baseball is a marathon and you're going to have pitchers and hitters that get hurt and your team's going to go in slumps. But any wins that you can squeak out, I think, are very important. Garrett Hampson agrees. Carried me to my title last year. <laughs> uh, Toby, anything else that you would like to touch on for this category? Uh, I mean, I think what you guys said is awesome. Um, I think it's, it's right on. Um, a couple pieces. Um, I love the the mention of just uh, multi-position eligibility. I think that's one of the things that we don't necessarily think as as much about. Like, is 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 roster construction? 
both from a multi-position eligibility and where you're getting your categories from. It's a little bit different in head to head, obviously, but like the more balance you have, the more flexibility you have to adapt and be able to go after different guys who are on the waiver wire who might be really interesting. Um, I think there's a number of different like kind of filters you need to look at. I think number one is roster needs. So like, yeah, where are your weaknesses in your rosters? Is it outfielder so that you do want to go with Aquino? Uh, if, if you know, for instance, that you've got three great out, you're only doing like, let's say you're doing three outfield league or something like that. Your three outfielders are all amazing. Like then maybe you don't want, you don't want to go with him and maybe you're wrong at the beginning. The question is, you know, did you still have him in September when he was, you know, getting a little bit of that regression, right? Um, and then category needs as well. I think that's one thing that people don't think about a lot, especially when you have a limited amount of fab, is you really need to think str- strategically about how it's going to, how you're going to use it. So if you're like, if you're playing Roto, for instance, and again, it's a little bit different than head to head, and you're absolutely crushing it in home runs, you know, and RBIs, you know, do you want to spend a lot of your fab going after a guy who's getting you home runs and RBI, but aren't necessarily helping you with the stolen bases or the batting average where you're struggling. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think thinking about that roster filter, thinking about the categorical need filter, and even in head to head, right. I think that's something that's going to be really important. If you, if you've already won that week and all you're looking for is a guy to, to help you win that week, then you're going to look for the categories you know, that you need uh, in that given uh, week. And then also skills. I think Lucas Giolito is an excellent example. I don't know if you guys uh, look watched PitchCon at all, but like I did my presentation and one of my presentations was about Lucas Giolito and how uh, after three starts, you could identify that there was some major changes that were going on underneath. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that he was going to be Lucas Giolito the rest of the season, right? right. Like that he was going to be a top 10 starter or a top 15 starter. But it means that there's reason for optimism. And I think in today's game, you know, when everybody is reacting so quickly and everybody's so knowledgeable about the changes and the breakouts that are happening, you need to act quickly on limited information, but take into consideration as much information as you possibly can. With Lucas Giolito, he stopped throwing his sinker altogether. It was like 25% of his pitches in 2018 and in 2019 through three starts he hadn't thrown a single pitch and then when you look at the other pitches you're like wow his pitches are actually pretty good he had two decent breaking pitches or off-speed pitches in his changeup and his slider so that's something to go to then you look at velocity oh look his velocity was up you know early on last season so that gives you another reason to possibly believe a little bit more and so then you say you want to know something there's enough here for me to see that makes me interested, right? His swinging strike rate was above league average. His uh, CSW, called plus swinging strike rate, was above league average. His walk rate was really high, but his walk indicators were better than they had been in previous seasons. And so there was everything pointing towards him being better than we thought. Doesn't mean we knew that he was going to be as good as he was. But even in that three-start sample, you had enough there to be able to make a move on him um, and I, you know, I was fortunate cause I picked him up in pretty much all of my major leagues. Um, you know, after that second week when his ERA was like six, eight, two, and his whip was one five, right. He mm-hmm. looked like the same guy, but he wasn't the same guy. So for that reason, I actually think it's easier to identify those things in, in pitchers than it is with hitters because with Aquino, right. You didn't know he was going to go off like that. And then he went off like that. And then he was absolute garbage in September. Right. And so, you know, was that just like the best uh stretch of his career that we're ever going to see it could easily be the best stretch of his career 
but you got to take that shot, right? And so use those filters, use all that available information and make the best yeah. decision you can about each player. I don't think that can go understated like that. Following what if you go to baseball savant and you can read guys that underperformed or overperformed what they did last year and you're like, okay, like something's not lining up. And and if you can see that those those things line up with Giolito, you can not saying you can predict a breakout, but you have an idea somewhat, hey, something might be different. And even necessarily not even uh, baseball savant, but you even hear things in the news sometimes. I, I, I've heard a lot about someone like Robbie Ray who they said he's just changed his the way he's lining up on the mound and he's just adjusting the way before he throws pitches so he can throw more strikes and we know hey Robbie Ray is a nasty pitcher and the one thing that he struggles with is control and walking guys and if he can get that figured out like holy crap like his upside's tremendous and it's like i think whether it's baseball savant or or uh, any type of online thing you can look at or just following up with just the, what they're doing in the off season to fix things that have been plaguing them. I think it, that goes, it, it can't be understated the importance of seeing if these guys can overperform or underperform based on their metrics from the previous year. Um, but you did bring up G- Lucas Giolito and one of the things he does tie into is trading strategy. And we're looking at, when to buy or sell the orange juice. Now, do you guys get where that reference is from? Trading, uh, strat- trading no. strategy, buy or sell the orange juice. Uh, <laughs> Does that laugh give it away? No. Oh, I was hoping Toby might get this one. That Eddie Murphy? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> trading places? Trading places? Oh. When he's like okay. selling the orange juice, he's like... <laughs> <laughs> been so long since I've I'm sorry yeah I oh man no, I'm, I, I'm totally, go. I totally <laughs> thought you were gonna go buy or sell like on um, around the horn uh, <laughs> I, 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 now this is just a horrible misfire on my end but uh when basically what we're asking is when do you either sell high or buy low on these players again Lucas Giolito is another perfect example do you buy the breakout or are you trying to sell high on him so Eric I'm gonna start with you doesn't have to be a specific player, but when do you judge if I got to sell high on this guy or buy low? And, and yeah, again, if, if you're playing with metrics or if, if you're just kind of, how do you judge based on if you should buy or sell a guy? So my first thing, and I mentioned this when we did trading etiquette with Chris from Baseball Pods, is you never say who you want to get in a trade or who you're looking to trade away right away because you're giving away leverage. You're letting someone know either hey, I don't believe in this player and I'm just trying to get some value or, hey, I really want that person. And the the guy that owns him knows that he can squeeze as much of the orange juice as he can out of you. My rule, my my rule for buying low is I'll try to pick someone that's in a slump but doesn't strike out often and is making good contact. Um, I traded for Alex Bregman a few years ago before he really broke out because he was hitting in the 260s. But he had a great on-base percentage, and we play in a points league, and he wasn't getting ma- many negatives. Um, I'll look for someone in a good offense because that's more opportunity, more at-bats, more chances for RBIs, runs, playing in high-scoring games. And what I'll look for also is someone that might be uh, prone to starting out cold. So the names that come out to me are Anthony Rizzo and Charlie Blackman, two people that are notoriously slow starters. And for an owner that might have one of those players that starts out one and three, one and four, that's losing patience, you can hop on on that player 
And then in a normal baseball season, as the weather starts to heat up and the ball travels farther, usually those players will start to break out of their slump. I remember there was a week last year where Charlie Blackman hit like 517 for the week. It was ridiculous. Um, and we had a person in our league sell him because he, he hit 176 the first month or something like that. For selling high, um, I'll usually go with veterans that I think are having career years. I took Patrick Corbin in the 21st round of our draft a few years ago. And after the first month, he was the, no, the number one pitcher. And I desperately tried to trade him because I knew there was no way he would keep it up. Nobody took my offer. He ended up being the number eight pitcher for the year. Um, you know, I kind of lucked out that way. But I'll also try to sell high on somebody that's starting out the year well, but has durability concerns or somebody like Chris Sale that, you know, when July, August, September hits, their velocity goes down and their ERA goes up and they'll have that big name and usually that high draft pick price where, you know, us four know baseball really well, but if you're playing with kind of a more common player, just knows the name and doesn't know the tendencies. Yeah, and I think one thing I, I do want to touch on is when you mentioned Patrick Corbin, I think this is one of the big differences if you play now than if you played a few years ago when he broke out. I think baseball savant and, and a lot of those things online to look at are so much more prevalent now that you could have seen, hey, Patrick Corbin is throwing his slider at a ridiculously higher rate than he used to. And it's translating to results. And now people can see like, and, and Toby brought this up with Lucas Giolito eliminating his sinker. It's like, hey, just sometimes one small tweak can be a world of success. And you can track that now. And you could be like, okay, this is what this guy's doing this year that he didn't do last year. And it's working. And you can determine, hey, like, I think this actually might be something that can stick around. So I think that was a good point you touched on there. Toby, what about you? Yeah, and just to that, I mean, just to the the impact that just a small change can have on a pitcher. I mean, the difference between like league average swinging strike rate and an absolutely elite swinging strike rate is pretty much four pitches being swung and missed over a, out of a hundred pitches. You know, four percent more pitches being swung and missed. So a small little change, you know, in five percent, ten percent usage can really have a massive impact. Um, when it comes to acquisitions, I mean, I think the key thing to do, like this I think is where some of the expected metrics are helpful. Like they're not they're not predictive, so they don't necessarily show what predictive, um, you know, that, that for sure somebody's gonna do better. But if somebody has a massive differential between their expected WOBA and their WOBA, and I can look at some of the skills and I see actual changes that reflect like that they should be doing better. So let's say a guy who's not typically good you know, or a guy who's typically good has an ex-WOBA of like, you know, I don't know, like 380, but his WOBA is like 300 early on in the season. I take a look at the profile. Everything seems to be aligned. Like he's making the same amount of contact. His plate discipline's equal, like his hard hit rate, his barrel rate, everything seems to be pretty good. Then that would be a guy that I might want to target. Similarly with pitchers, if I see an actual change in the pitch mix, in the velocity, something that indicates to me that we're going to see, that we're likely to see better um, things moving forward, like paying attention to some of the luck metrics, like uh, left on base percentage, home run per fly ball rate, um, things of that nature where, yes, there is some fluctuation between guys, but you can see where there may be like a pretty clear outlier. Um, so really looking at, at, at those type of metrics um, so like, and the trade thing is painful thinking about Lucas Giolito because it also depends if you're in like a dynasty league, a keeper league, mm -hmm. so on and so mm -hmm. forth and what the things are. So like I'm in one dynasty league, it's a 20 team dynasty league. 
with 20 minor league players. Rosters, I think, are 30. Major league roster is 30. So pretty deep league. And I saw these changes in Giolito. I went after him in all the waiver wires. And I like I made a proposal you know, at that time in my dynasty league for Lucas Giolito. And it was a decent offer, but it wasn't quite there. And the guy rejected it, but it wasn't like he rejected it and he's like, there's no way I'm moving to Lucas Giolito. And I didn't come back with like an improved offer, you know, for Giolito at that point in time. And I, I'm kicking myself to this day because <laughs> from that point forward, I think he had like for the rest of that half, he had like a one five ERA or something absolutely ridiculous, you know? And so, so I think in dynasty leagues, you can especially use these types of things. Like Hunter Dozier was the example on the hitting side where all mm-hmm. of his metrics looked really, really good, but he just wasn't producing yet. Those are the types of guys that I want to buy low on. Sell high, I mean, I think is 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 just an instance where you think a guy, like where you think the underlying metrics don't necessarily add up and you don't think they're going to continue it, at least in redraft. You know, obviously there's more of an analysis that goes into it in like a dynasty or keeper league, depending on the number of keepers and whether you think a guy is going to fit into that or in dynasty, whether what you think that the progress is going to look like over the next number of years. So um, again, like I just think where that's where some of the expected metrics come into play and then really focusing on the skills instead of the outcomes. I think you can get a huge advantage by doing that. And, but what I mean by skills is like contact rate, um, uh, you know, uh, O swing. So chase rate on pitches outside the zone ground ball rate is a really good one too, which actually stabilizes quicker than fly ball rate does. So actually looking for guys with low ground ball rates instead of high fly ball rates or high line drive rates, because line drive rates are, are, are not predictive. Like they fluctuate a lot. Um, and so not really relying more on ground ball rate. So looking at those types of skills, swinging strike rate, in zone contact rate, pitch by pitch rates, as opposed to outcomes, like those things take a long time to stabilize. Whereas per pitch or per batter faced metrics, stabilize more quickly so if you see changes there that aren't reflected in the outcomes then kind of hopping on them one way or the other art anything you would like to add for trading strategies i just think that um one thing i would like to add is that uh oftentimes when you talk talk to somebody about a guy who's starting off hot they're gonna they're gonna sit there and go wait a second art just offered me a proposal for a guy who's hot he thinks he's got something here and he's going to try and extract more out of you. So the one thing I'm, I would say is that you have to approach it delicately, maybe even just, just start the conversation say, I, well, we might have a trade. I, I was, I, I got this, this player who might help your team. I think we might have a trade. Um, and you know, come, come at it from like obliquely from an angle because, um, people are pretty savvy when, you know, if, if you're offering uh, Patrick Corbin after his first hot month, people will know that you you are trying to trade him high. So that you're they're gonna try. They're gonna <laughs> shot <try>. fired. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna try and 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 get him for less than you want to get for him, uh, and vice versa. So the uh, the technique is is in, in completing the trade is really about uh, people skills. That's the only thing I'll say. Because I, I don't have much to add to what was already said about it. The one thing I'll, I'll add really quickly, and then we'll move to our last topic in this category, is um, have any of you, you can just you can just give a quick answer, have any of you guys ever tried to, if there's someone in your league that might not be as knowledgeable, if someone that's decent has a 
two or three bad start stretch that you know is is not going to last? Do you try to take advantage of them and, and trade while their their value is super low? Like you know, if, if someone like Max Scherzer, oh, maybe Max Scherzer is not a good example, but uh, my, you got him last year. I, I was gonna, yeah, but the one example I'm thinking of, and I and to this day I will never forgive myself for this trade, even though I won the league, is me and Art made a trade and I had an abundance of pitching. And I traded Shane Bieber. He had just blown up uh, in a start. He, I think, gave up like seven earned runs. And I needed hitting bad. So I traded Shane Bieber literally at his lowest value um, to get for Luke Voigt. And Luke Voigt at that point was killing it. And I was like, all right, like right, I'm giving up my fourth best pitcher for a guy that I think at the time he was a top 10 first baseman. And... Sure enough, the next start, he throws like 14 strikeouts. And from the rest of the season, I don't think has won any bad starts. And that's Art like being savvy and being like, hey, David might not believe that Bieber's breakout's for real. Maybe he's seven second thoughts and tried to trade for me him the week before, and I didn't do it. And I think have either of you guys ever tried to do something like that where maybe someone's second guessing someone's breakout and you just try to buy them extremely low? You have to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you need to know the players in your league. I only have one trading league. NFBC doesn't do do trading. But, like, knowing the players in your leagues, I think there's a few pieces that Art, Art mentioned that I think are uh, that, that Art, like, when him, him talking about trading, I think was kind of, like, raised them in my mind, which is, number one, like, making sure that, like, as you approach somebody, also be thinking about what they need. Like, make sure you know what categories they need and that you're proposing them something that helps them, not only you. Don't be afraid to lose a trade, too. Like, if you have an abundance of pitching, it's okay to give up a better pitcher than a hitter if that's going to meet your needs. Your goal is to create, like, the best team that you possibly can. And then one of the biases that people have is they value things that they already have more than the market necessarily does. And so that's what I think makes trading really, really hard. And there's some people in your league and you know who they are, who are that person, where it's like, no matter what you offer them for, for that guy, they're not gonna give them up. And so wasting your time trying to get those guys is not necessarily worth it. Whereas there's other people who are much more willing to trade. And it may be because maybe they're not tracking it as closely. You know, maybe their valuations differ. But I think that's smart ownership is is knowing who those guys in your league are, who you're willing to trade with. And I bet if you looked at trades, like a lot of them happen between the same owners because you establish a rapport and a willingness mm-hmm. to trade and you and you're not just trying to take advantage of people, if that makes sense. Right. That's a very good point. I think it, and Art, you really did touch on it. It's all about your connections with the people. And if, you know, you're establishing, like you said, uh, Toby, the rapport, I think that's it's very important in making sure you can actually trade with players. Um, so we're going to do the last one really quick here. And I want you. So I'm not a normal person. All the people that listen to the show now know I'm not normal. I like to live dangerously. And so sometimes I go against the norm with some of my strategies and I'm each of you maybe in 60 seconds or less, just give me one strategy you may do that's unique to you that maybe like people aren't as aware to. And, and I'll give my, for example, uh, unless I'm in a two catcher league, I don't like having a catcher. I think there's the few elite catchers. If I want to stream them, I can pick up and stream them. Um, but I like using that extra spot to stash a pitcher on my team. 
And if uh, I have that extra abundance of pitching, I have that spot open up to carry an extra pitcher. Um, I think if you don't have the elite catchers, again, you can either pick one up if one starts heating up or um, in some weeks, some may even give you negative uh, just because they're not hitting very well. So I, I, I like to take advantage of that roster spot in a different area. Uh, so Toby, I'll start with you. What in 60 seconds or less, what's one strategy that you may do? 60 seconds or less, man. Have you heard me talk? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so my, one of my strategies, uh, that I guess I'm known for now is pocket aces. So drafting two starting pitchers to start out a draft is something that I do frequently. Uh, they return the most value. Um, we like to think that we're really good at identifying pitchers in the middle rounds that are really good, but um, history shows us that we're actually not really good at identifying who those people are. And so there's not much that differentiates the middle of the pack from the back of the pack. And so really, um, uh, anchoring those ratios with two starting pitchers to start out your draft is something that I do frequently. I love that strategy. Art, what about you? Um, I play around with relief pitching a lot. Um, I'll throw a starting pitcher who's relief pitcher eligible in at relief pitcher. Um, I will also, uh, throw a a relief pitcher who's starting pitcher eligible into a starting pitcher spot in daily leagues to get more, more, uh, more players. I think that is the most common one I use. I'll in daily leagues. I'll, I'll take relief pitchers who are also starting pitcher eligible. And I will, uh, I will use that one of my streaming spots to, to play them for a game or two each week, just so I have a chance to get a little bit, you know, uh, more production out of my pitching each week. So I think those are called sparps, if I'm not mistaken. You you're, yeah. you love playing around with the sparps. I like the sparps, yeah. Art's a sparps guy. <laughs> Eric, what about you? Uh, Art kind of touched on it. I feel like you read my notes. I stream relief pitchers. I think anyone that's starting in relief pitcher eligible, such as Liam Hendricks or Seth Lugo, you can put them in that starting pitcher spot, pick up somebody like a Giovanni Gallegos who could get you holds. Um, and as Toby said, it's about maximizing the number of players and opportunities to get points. And what I'll do is if, you know, Giovanni Gallegos has pitched in two days, I know he's not going to pitch again. I'll pick him, you know, I'll drop him and pick up someone like a Yusmero Petit, you know, maybe hasn't pitched in two or three days. And then that way I always have the most pitchers or more pitchers, um, to give me potential points. Awesome. Great stuff, guys. That was uh, incredible. Great information from all you guys. Let's move into our next segment, which is our question of the week. And our question this week, which MLB player, past or present, has the most badass name of all time? The one that you're just like, oh, man, that's my guy. Uh, So... I'm going to start with you, Toby. You're the guest. Guests always go first. Which one did you pick? Um, so this is a, this was a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to go with the, the guy whose name I first remembered of hearing any Major League Baseball player's name, and that's Oil Can Boyd. Um, he was a pitcher in the 80s, um, I think 70s and 80s, or at least in the 80s, mostly with the Red Sox. That's what I knew him from. I'm actually not sure where the, the nickname comes from, but... I just remember like re- seeing his baseball card and being like, oil cam Boyd, like what's, <laughs> what's, what's going on? Um, so I went with, I went with oil cam Boyd. A close second was a player that I love, which is Pokey Reese. He was on the 2004 Red Sox who won pretty much just a defensive replacement, but just 
by all accounts, just an incredible guy. And I just love the nickname. Um, really, really fit for just the way that he played um, baseball. Um, incredible defensive player, and really just kind of poked the ball when he when he hit. No power whatsoever. He fit. He lifted uh, or fitted to his name at that point. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, that's a great to start. Uh, Eric, what about you? All right. So I don't have a nickname like that, but I think Max Scherzer's nickname of Mad Max is pretty ba. I sent David and Art a gift the other day. And he's mouthing, you're effing mine, you effing BMFer. <laughs> you you look at him on the mound, and he has that intensity. He also has heterochromia, so he has two different colored eyes. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Nationals Park. I know David has. In right center field, they have a black and white poster of Max Scherzer, except for his eyes, which are uh, blue and hazel. And he is just, I feel like you look at him and you're like, wow. He's intimidating. He's mad. So you didn't do your homework because I didn't ask for <laughs> nicknames. Yeah, you did. Eric, I said names, like actual <laughs> names. I'm going to I'm going to look up the text right now where it says nicknames. Go ahead, Art. Go <laughs> get us back on the right track. Oh, well, see I okay. All right, I'm going to go with Glenn uh, well, my first thought was Hensley Bam Bam Mullins cuz Bam Bam was his nickname, but that all right, so I'm gonna move on. No, you know, no, you know what? No, that, I'm just kidding around. Just whatever you picked, I'm sure is fine. I, I, but the other guy I like is Glenn Allen Hill. He was, I, I grew up a Cubs fan, and Glenn Allen Hill just looked like a guy who could hit a home run 600 feet every time he was up at the plate, and uh, he actually hit one that was probably close to 600 feet for the club for the Cubs. And a name like Glenn Allen is just fantastic. <laughs> It's just, he was he was on that '98 team, right? With Sosa. I, yeah, he was. He was. He was on I the Cubs it. for a few seasons. Yeah. Oh, I knew you would have to pick a Cub then for sure. <laughs> he was on the Giants for a little bit too. Yeah. I grew, I grew up in the yeah uh, north of the Bay Area, so yeah. All right. Well, I figured that we may go back a little bit because there definitely are some names there. So I wanted to give one that's a little bit more recent. And when I did look up some of the names, just to give me a little bit of just a list, half of the names did have Dick in it, which I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. So I I wanted to stay away from that. Uh, But my pick is someone I'm sure you guys all remember, and he's near and dear to my heart as a twins fan. Boof Bonzer. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, That's, that's, that was my guy. Yeah, Boof the Goof, as we all, as many Twins fans also called him. You just knew when he went into the game. Uh, oh God, there goes the lead. And uh, <laughs> the guy. I mean, every year, five or six ERA next to his name. It's just those were the good old days, you know. Uh, but that that was my guy. He's a funny guy. Uh, just the kind of guy you feel like is all going off of his couch to go pitch a game. So. Uh, that was definitely one I was thinking about too. That's a great one. <laughs> Uh, um, to your previous comment, the best player's weekend name was uh, Dick Mountain for oh, Rich Hill. That's great. Oh, that's Rich hilarious. Hill. Oh, Rich Hill's name oh was Dick God. Mountain. Yeah, that's that's right. amazing. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, man. I might have um, to buy a jersey of that. Yeah. Well, let's move into our last segment of the week, and that is our game of the week. And Art is hosting our game this week. So, Art, what is on the docket for today? This week, we are going to play small sample size theater. 
because we're looking at perhaps a 50, perhaps a 70 game season. The research I did was for 50 games because when I was doing it, this new proposal wasn't quite out yet. So what I did was from last season, I looked up 50 game samples for some some significant players. And what I'm going to do is we're going to do this Price is Right style. I'm just going to throw out a name and uh, uh, Toby, then Eric, then David, and then Eric, then David, then Toby. You're going to each guess uh, the 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 either best uh, or worst total. I'll, I'll, I'll feed it to you as I go, and I'll just we'll just see who gets the best score at the end. So, for example, um, our first one is as in the stolen bases category in a 50 game sample. Victor Robles's worst 50 game sample in stolen bases. Why don't we just start off playing right now, Toby? What do you think? Hmm. Seven. Wait. What, what? How does it? How does it work? If you you can't go over, right? I I'm just gonna say closest. Just okay. go closest. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go with seven. I'm gonna go uh, with seven. Yeah, Eric. So worst, worst sample in a 50 game season. Worst stolen bases for Victor Robles. Worst 50 game stolen stretch. bases. Yeah, stretch. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say nine. David. Victor Robles spikes, uh, strikes me as an eight stolen base guy. I'll go oh, right in the okay, middle. Okay. I got this one. I got it locked down. <laughs> Victor Robles' worst 50-game stretch was two stolen bases. Last <laughs> uh, wow. Games 25 to 74. Um, <laughs> uh, Malik Smith's worst 50-game sample last year. Uh, Aaron, you go first. Yeah, Aaron, you go first. This stolen is stolen bases. bases. Yeah. Does this does this count when he goes to the minor leagues? <laughs> no, from last season. From last season. Okay. <laughs> so um, we're gonna go Eric, David, and Toby. Uh, I'm gonna go one less, and I'll say eight. He had a lot of stolen bases. David. So this is like 50 games he played in, because there were a lot of games he did not play. Oh, so 50 games of of their team season. Oh, then one. Then one. He like okay. barely played. <laughs> uh, Toby, I'm gonna go with two. Seven was his worst oh. 50 games. Oh yeah, you can so put Eric it on the board. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's here's one uh, out of left field. The best 50-game sample for Tim Locastro. Tim Locastro from the Arizona Diamondbacks. What's the best 50-game stretch for Tim Locastro? The best. I don't even know who Tim Locastro is. (laughs) (laughs) This is why this is a small sample size hitter. He's the fastest player in baseball. Is he really? Based on StatCast sprint speed, I think he's either at the top or top five. Yeah, he's okay. yeah Diamondbacks. He gets hit by pitches all the time. <laughs> um, Got to get on base. So uh, David, you first, and then Toby, and then Eric. Best fifty game sample for Tim Locastro. God, I mean, if he played, I mean, uh, I'll say ten. Toby, I'm gonna go with eleven. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> I'm going to go six. It is eight. 
So oh. that's half a point to David and Eric. Um, he only right, had let's end the game. Let's end the game. I have 1.5. <laughs> well, he only had 70 plate appearances over wow. that time. Um, all right, so one more for stolen bases. Trey Turner's worst 50-game stretch, 50-team games. All right, so Toby, you go first. Trey Turner. I'm going to go with five. Uh, Eric? I was going to do four, but I don't want to price is right you. <laughs> so Dude, I'm going to go. Price, I would price is right me, so you got it. If you're trying to win, Eric. Yeah, come on. This is about victory. Yeah, I'm going to go five then. Wait, you guys both guess five? Oh, sorry. Uh, I'll go six. And David? And I'll just go seven and up so I can get No, it. no, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's two. It's, it's two. two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, man. It's a, of course. I just want to point so that you guys, out. Yeah, you're, <laughs> don't, don't you're winning. Don't come on the show and win. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to home runs. The best 50-game sample for Yandy Diaz. Eric, you go first. Uh, I'm going to go... Nine. Okay. This starts the comeback. This, this starts the comeback right here. Yandy's my guy. I'm going to go solid seven. Okay. And uh, Toby? Uh, this one's tough because I think he finished the year with like 14. That's right. I was going to go with nine, actually. That's what was in my head. So uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm just going to. I'm giving myself one shot to win to guess it exactly right. I'm gonna go with eight. It's nine. It's oh. nine on the dot. Eric got it. <laughs> nice work. Oh man. I'll, I'll um, give you. I'll give you an air high five because you wanted to say nine as well. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a great guess. What is Nelson Cruz's worst 50 game sample? David, you go first. I mean, he's on the Twins, so I should know this one. This should be one that is a guarantee for me. Uh, are, you, are you a Twins fan? I am. I'm a big Twins fan. Uh, I went to Target Field last year, got the Bomba Squad shirt. Oh, really? Twins hat. That's the hat that I wear the most, yeah. That's so awesome. I should have worn it if I would have known. Is the stadium as nice as they, it seems on TV? Oh, it's it's a wonderful stadium. It's one of my it's top five for me of the ones I've been. Me and some buddies go on a a, a trip to different stadiums every single year. Um, I'd say it's top five. Yeah, it's really nice. It reminds me a lot of um, of uh, uh, Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Um, it's got a very similar feel to that. Just a really well-designed, beautiful, some really nice features, just beautiful to the eye. It's really nice. I'm definitely adding that to my list then to go see. Um, We're giving David a lot of time to get this wrong. <laughs> Worst Nelson Cruz 50-game stretch. I mean, gosh, my man was consistent most of the year. Um, I'm going to say eight. Okay. Uh, Toby? This is hard. This is a hard one. Uh, God, what did he do? He hit like 47, I think, something like that. But he was also injured for a period of time with that wrist around the All-Star break. 50 games. And... We had an eight. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a seven. 
Okay. Fourth is seven. Eric? Uh, David, I just wanted to let you know I was going to say eight at first, but I won't copy you. And uh, I mean, I'm going to go could... ten. I'm going to go ten. Six. Yes! Oh, man. <laughs> Coming back. What's up? Oh, you know what? Why am I so bad at this game? I'm not. <laughs> I love it. It's just a guessing. It's a good. It's a fun guessing game. I thought that's why I thought there's this was no fun. skill involved whatsoever. Just I'm for... I'm not going to be playing the lottery anytime soon. All right, now I'm going to go to the best. The best 50 game stretch for Mike Trout last year. Uh, who's turn to the, It's Toby's turn to start. Oh man, start starting is rough. So the best 50 game Mike. stretch for Mike Trout for home runs. Yes. Last year. 22. Eric? 16. David? I'll go. I'll go right in the middle at 18. 18. It is 22. What up? No way. Are you kidding me? Wow. 22. Maybe there is skill involved in this game. (laughs) Did you get a copy of Art's paper before we started? Sure. Art, I owe you that 10 bucks, man. I owe you that 10 bucks. No problem, man. Making me look good. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so we're go- let's move on to runs. We got one person here, Mookie Betts. I want his best and his worst for two points. We'll start with the worst 50-game run for Mookie Betts in runs. And Eric starts. Worst? Yeah. Oh, worst. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say 19. Okay. David? 10. Worst no. 50? Mookie gets on base. That's wrong. Uh, I just, I, oh, man. I, I, could, I could win this easily. I could win this <laughs> easily, but I, I, I want to guess it right. Uh-huh. I want to guess it right. I'm going to go with 24. 33 was the worst 50 oh games that Mookie Betts had. I thought it was yeah. going to be like a wild card. I mean, the thing is, he had like 100 and. 23 runs, I think, last year, something like that. 135. 135. So you divide that by three, essentially, for like about 50. So yeah, yeah. That's how I'm. That's how I'm doing it. I'm trying to think Uh, of how many they had over the season. Uh, now see, now I got the formula. Here we go. Now the game starts. Now I just want to let you guys know I got five and a half points. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who started? Did Eric? Did you start last time? Yeah. Yeah. His best 50-game stretch. Mookie Betts' best 50-game stretch. Oh, well, I'm, if I'm using the strategy that my uh, my friend here just gave me, if we take his 100 and, I think he said 130, or 130-ish runs. So it was divided. I'm going to say he had like 50. Uh, Toby? Best. 64. I was going to say 64. Eric? I promise you. Go under or over. Go under or over. I'm going 65. I'm prices writing you. (laughs) 52. Oh, yes! (laughs) I'm going to rip my shirt. (laughs) 50 game stretch. 52. 52. Wow. That is is remarkable consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's 52 and 50 game. Uh, All right. So RBIs. Anthony Rendon, who goes first? Toby's going first. His worst 
50-game stretch for RBIs. Anthony Rendon, he led the, led the major in RBIs last year with 126. And he was incredibly consistent last year. Yeah. I had him on one of my big teams. So 50-game stretch, the highest amount, 50-game We're going to start with his lowest. Oh, with his lowest. Start, we're going to do uh, highest. Lowest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's see. I'm going to go with 26. Eric? I'm going to go with 31. David? 24. 25. You guys still uh, have a we point. Tied. We uh-huh. tied. Yeah. Oh. Hey, look, ever since you gave me your little inside track now, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm firing up these points. Let's go. Woo! Uh, his best 50-game stretch. Uh, Eric, you start. Uh, just 25. And his best. I'm going to go 41. Okay. David? Actually, wait, that, that wouldn't even make sense. Never mind. You already said the answer. It's already on uh, the table. Yeah, you're right. Table. You're right. I'm going to say go. 55. Toby? I'll go with 56, but I think it's 62. 47 was his best 50-game stretch. So. Oh, I got it. So, uh, ever since I gave oh, this yeah. formula away, yeah, yeah, now, yeah. now my, now my skill isn't so high. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to pitching. Sh- tell me, uh, David, I think your first, mm-hmm. the worst 50-game one-loss record for Jacob deGrom last year. The worst 50-game? Yeah, worst wins over 50 team games. Let's just do wins. And one. then I'll tell you the one-loss record. Okay. Yeah, uh, Toby. I, w- I would have gone with I would have gone with one two. Uh, I'll, I'll go with two. Eric, you said worst fifty game stretch of wins. Yeah, for Jacob Degrom. Team games, remember. So it's not fifty. Obviously, he didn't have fifty starts. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a trick, and you say zero, but I actually do like two. He went one in five from games ten to fifty-nine. Team games ten to fifty-nine. Yeah. It was one. It was always one. <laughs> <laughs> I had him. I had him on my team last year, and I was just so frustrated they would never even run support. So, yeah. uh, Jacob, uh, Justin Verlander's worst amount of wins over fifty team games. Uh, Toby, you're first. I think. Worst over yeah. 50 team games. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with five. Eric? I'm going to go four. David? I was going to say four, but I'm going to go three. He went four and three. Oh! I should <laughs> Over 50 games. Um... Man, I think Eric's caught up with me by now. Wait, wait so what's our point update? How many? Well, how many questions are left? We gotta know what's on the line, Art. Uh, Eric's four and a half. David's three. Toby is five and a half. Okay. All right. We're so, doing like one last one. We can bet it. Crunch time. All right. So I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move Fuck. straight to straight to saves. Okay. Kirby Yates, worst 50 team game stretch in saves. Uh, who's, who, who went first last time? Eric did? No, no. I think Toby did. I did. I did. So Eric, you go first. 
uh, Kirby Yates' worst 50-game stretch, team game stretch for saves. Will you tell us how many saves he had? For the season? Yeah, 40, like 42? 41. Okay, worst 50 game. Um, Don't say my number. Don't say it. I'm going to say 11. It. For his worst? Yeah. yeah. I'll say three. I feel like there was a point where he wasn't getting many saves. Toby? Yeah, I'm... Uh, I was going to go with five, but I'll go with four just to shut David out of the equation. <laughs> it's 11. Oh, my God. 11 is, is Yeah. So we got a tie at the top. Yeah. Ian Kennedy's best 15-game stretch. No, you had to save. pick this one. <laughs> oh, I got to go last. David's oh, first. man, this is huge. <laughs> best? His yeah. best? Okay. Um, All right, so this will be the last one. Ian can Kennedy's. We, can oh, I, I, I guess we, is, we can have a runoff after this one. This it, is it? Oh. So can all I right. bet my all my points to try to win? <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, David's got to come you, in last. If, if you if you hit it on the nose, uh, then then you then you can be part of a runoff. Okay. Okay. All right. His David. best fifty game stretch. I'm going to say it was. 12. That's a good guess. Kobe. It's a really good guess. Whew. Man. Ugh. 12, 50 games. Man. Mm, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm going to go with 13. Eric, if I really, I you know, I'm gonna do this just for the win. You're just gonna, really just gonna fight. sandwich me in. Yeah, it's gonna I, I'm be 13. Total, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally like gonna do that. I wanted to say, I wanted to say 16, but just to sandwich him in, I'm gonna do 14. It is 17. Ian Kennedy had 17 saves from oh, game 63. Heart. To oh, 112. Have you guys the show, and then I have the worst <laughs> victory of my career. How could you have <laughs> this to me? Eric, how could you do that to me? Toby, you blew a three to one lead. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. That that pained me. I was out of it from the start, but <laughs> yeah. So Eric, Eric wins the uh, the small sample size theater game. As it just goes to show you, over 50 games, even uh, Ian Kennedy could be the best reliever in baseball. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I get 30 seconds of face time like they do in Around the Horn? Uh, yeah, I, 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 have, I have one thing to say. Rob Manfred <laughs> sucks. <laughs> Don't even need the full 30 seconds. Oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, well, Toby, thank you so much for coming on. We really loved having you on the show. It was a blast. Oh, yeah, for sure. I hope you guys will will consider having me on the show again at some point in time after that tremendous failure uh, to hold the lead. No, so, 100%. Uh, we got to gotta... get some redemption. This was this was a lot of fun. It was like the Sosa missed, missed pop-up, you know? <laughs> I should have had it. I blew it. Give me another couple chances. <laughs> well, we'll definitely make that happen. Toby, again, thank you for your time, man. We'll do this again soon. Thank you yeah, again. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome, guys. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. And if you want to follow more of Toby, you can catch him on the socials at Batflip Crazy and, and his awesome podcast he does. 
Uh, they're great podcasts. We're, we're big fans. So, Toby, you're the man. Until next time, we'll catch you.